Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Mile a Minute Movie Talk with your host, Diligent Picks, as well as my other fellow host, Lucas of LeGray Films. Hello, hello. How are we doing? It's been a month. <laughs> it has been at least a month. I don't. I lost track. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a good month for us though, because where we haven't done as much of this, we have been doing a lot. And I mean a lot of movie watching. <laughs> yes. Yeah, even though we haven't been talking about movies officially on the interweb together, we have been uh, doing a lot of it out of this. <laughs> yes. And so we apologize for the delay. Uh, as many of you are aware, there's been a lot of films coming out, particularly with Barbenheimer hitting the what? cinemas. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Missing the big one out of out of everything. What happened was Lucas saw Barbie and then Lucas saw Oppenheimer and then I saw Oppenheimer and then I saw Barbie, but it took me a lot longer to see all of those movies. Uh, And then we started seeing some other films uh, that we would like to talk about as well. We might not get around to talking about them today, but we definitely want to put out another episode soon and talk about movies such as talk to me and past lives. A couple of other favorites we've seen this year. Um, But today, I think we owe all of you the satisfaction of talking about Barbenheimer. Yes. Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I think we both uh, ended up doing the different versions of the order that we watch them. I watched Barbie opening night on Thursday when it came out, Thursday 26th. And I think you saw Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. And I went Barbie on Thursday and then... The week after that, I went to San Francisco and saw it in true 70 millimeter action in IMAX. What? At the Metreon. So that was great. Cool. Yeah, I saw Barbie at uh, our local cinema here, which does Adobe Atmos and a 4K digital projector. Um, and it's extremely loud. Sorry, this was Oppenheimer, if I didn't specify mm-hmm. that. But yeah, this is extremely loud. And. People were complaining a lot about the typical, we'll get into this more when we do the full review, but yeah. uh, the typical Christopher Nolan trend sound. of uh, yes. the sound mixing. Uh, but I heard everything pretty darn clear in this theater because it, it was so loud. Um, um, there were a few moments, though. For IMAX, it wasn't that loud for me. I mean, it was loud, but it was like tolerable loud. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I've, I've seen louder movies in our uh, local theater, UDC, yeah, uh, that they that- have. I think this theater just cranks their volume up to 11. <laughs> uh, is that Roxy or Airport? Uh, the Reading Cinemas Runner Park. Oh, Reading. Yeah, you saw that Reading. Yeah. But yeah. it was a good experience other than the seats being really uncomfortable. For yeah, that you have the most. <laughs> them and uh, what's it called? Uh, the Petaluma one have the worst seats in my opinion. Well, Petaluma at least has luxury recliners. There are the <laughs> cheapest recliners imaginable. Those things are thin, and then there's no padding on the on the footrest. Aww. It's like a plank of wood. When we went and saw Evangelion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was like, and then I had that weird guy next to me, and you're not spaced out as much, too. Oh, that was yeah. annoying. I was like, on this phone the whole movie. It's like, why do you go see a three and a half hour Evangelion movie if you're going to be on your phone the whole time? That's a fun topic to get into at some point. Movie theater. <laughs> yeah, movie this, theater is, uh, this has really brought it up to uh, a lot of people. <laughs> Um, I saw a poll, I don't know what it was done through, but it was uh, one-fourth of people uh, 
at the at wherever they pulled him uh, hadn't been back to the theater since pre-COVID that are mm. going to see Barbie. Wow. Then probably, I mean, a lot of people are seeing Oppenheimer because of Barbie, so probably very close. But yeah, Barbie's definitely bringing a lot of people back in, even though it's probably not going to be the highest grossing movie since COVID happened, which that is still going to be Avatar. But Avatar did really good on the international front comparative to last time. It was like the other way around. Yeah. It was definitely better domestically. Yeah, definitely in this case, the combination of having both Barbie and Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. like that box office has just been yeah. killing it. Um, two different movies that kind of get two different crowds, but then people grouped them together just because they're coming out on the same day, and they're both like, one's a big IP, and one of them's a big director. Probably like one of the more popular you know, directors did Dark Knight, obviously. Everybody knows what he's done. But definitely kind of getting both crowds and then both people just you know everybody that likes movies is going to see both of them and then they kind of got that that nice social media stuff since like january when the dates were officially released yeah um the biggest casualty of this whole thing though everybody forgets mission impossible came out two weeks before that and did not do as good as it was going to because it got kicked out of imax like two out two weeks whoever uh whatever their name i forget who releases those is it universal or Warner Brothers. Uh, Paramount was a uh, Paramount geez. was was yeah, Paramount, Impossible. Paramount uh, did a horrible job. They should have released that thing in June. <laughs> yeah, like early June, and they would have made like probably like nine hundred. But no, they they bluffed that. But yeah, um, Barbie and Oppenheimer. What order should we talk about these? I was about to ask question. you the same question. Um, um, I'd say we start off with the more serious film. Okay, yeah. Because I feel like I'll have a little bit less to say about Barbie. I, I yeah, maybe that's it. But I I think it's also just. On I'd the rather topics, like get into yeah. I'd, I'd rather, rather get into yeah, Oppenheimer. I, yeah, I think talking about Oppenheimer first feels mm-hmm. just like the right thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, on a note, uh, I'll send you the link to this video. There's this uh, guy who is part of a YouTube channel group that I like um, called. Uh, Funhouse, uh, they they're kind of on the downs, but they he did a video on his own channel called uh, the Barbenheimer, uh, how to watch Barbie Oppenheimer, and it just goes like into like an insanity down roll of how to watch the movie, and mm-hmm. so that was like my favorite like video I saw come out of that. It's pretty funny if you can check it out. Oh, uh, nice! But uh, it'll be I'll send it to Dylan, so it'll be in the description of the YouTube video. But anyway, Woo! going into Oppenheimer, um, yes. I mean, my first, just the first impression of the movie for me going in was I saw it in IMAX and seen a movie in IMAX in so long. Um, first time seeing a 70 millimeter IMAX. Uh, there's no, com- <laughs> there's no uh, ads because then they would have to change the aspect ratios and masking and all that. So it just goes straight into it. There's no trailers. And it felt like a, like a montage or like a movie trailer going into it. Cause it's just like music right in and you're just seeing this guy laying in bed and then it's going through like all these scenes of him doing stuff and it hops around a little bit at the beginning, not as much as later, but it hops around a little bit. And so I'm like, this is very interestingly structured for like the first five minutes. It definitely just kind of throws you into the deep end and you're just like, what is going on? Yeah. Especially with the swelling music, like right off the bat, it just really, really gets you. Um, I think the big thing about that too is, uh, what's his name? They got a new uh, composer. Uh, it's not Hans Zimmer anymore. Yes, uh, uh, Lud- I believe it was Ludwig Göransson, or was it? Lor- yes, Lorne Ludwig Göransson, I think. 
It was that or Lauren Ball. Probably Edwin Gordon's scorer of Oppenheimer. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. so I I really liked his score. Um, Lauren Ball did. But yeah, uh, it's it's very much there. Lauren Ball did Mission Impossible. That's why I got oh. them. So. We don't talk about that. No, What's the that new movie? the it's new Barbieheimer. Uh, so yeah, yeah uh, that that intro is definitely like really grabs you, and then it kind of gets into like setting up the structure of the story for the beginning parts of Oppenheimer and how he gets into the to the um, print Project Manhattan. Jesus, loving it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that was like that was definitely definitely a really like interesting intro. It kind of just throws you in the deep end, but I really like that too. Um, it was just a lot being thrown at you at once. You have all this inner monologue, and then you have all this music, and you're just kind of like going with it until it kind of like settles down once he gets back to America. Mm. I will say, even though I did appreciate the structure, I do think that was maybe the most confusing aspect of the film for me in terms okay. of like, like I, I kind of wish it was a little more um, linear. Um, okay, yeah, I kind of, I, I knew going into it, it had, like, an unconventional structure, and I kind of liked that they would go back from the two different, because there's the three periods of time they were essentially doing, they were doing present in black and white, and past and like, colored from, like, Oppenheimer's expect, uh, perspective was, like, the thing, like, colored was Oppenheimer's perspective, and black and white was, like, objective, mm-hmm. um, and I really... I, I liked kind of going back more because it was kind of connecting the pieces at the end. But before that, it kind of was not dis, not as much disengaging, but a, more just kind of like, what are they doing with this? Because like, you didn't, you had no idea what was going on at all in those like later scenes early in the movie. Yeah, for sure. I think it was, um, I, it was just one of those things at first that it, it, it was a little confusing for me, but it didn't really, it didn't at all like deter deter from the movie to where it bothered me and like I couldn't enjoy the film. I think I just um I was mostly unfamiliar with the story and I think mm-hmm. if I if I had known a little bit more about Oppenheimer going into it, I would have appreciated that structure even more. Um cuz I think particularly w- with a lot of the like Robert Downey Jr. scenes and his character, I was a little like like it didn't hit me as hard by the end of the movie, like his impact and like everything that they were going for. But I, even though I thought his performance was amazing, it just, I guess for me, that was like the one thing where I got a little bit like, like I kind of, I just felt like I wasn't invested as I, as I should be. Mm. Yeah. I could see, I see a lot of people that I've talked to at the theater when it's been showing, they've been a lot of people either, either like the first half or don't. And then you either like the ending or don't. And then some, there's some other stuff that people have not liked about it that I'll definitely get into. But um, I feel like if if the ending doesn't get, isn't it for you, then you're just kind of like, I'm bored. And you kind of just disassociate while watching the movie because you're just like, I'm not interested in the story because I didn't get what was happening. And I hear that happening from some people. They're just kind of confused or, or just disinterested in what's going on because they haven't been set up enough because they just thought that whatever part up until that point wasn't really grabbing them either structurally or story-wise but i will say other than just the structure of the story everything else about the movie worked for me it was like i I pretty much appreciated uh from like it's probably 
among my favorite Christopher Nolan films now. I would say it's right behind Memento. Mm -hmm. Um, But it has been a long time since I've seen some of his older works, even like the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, yeah. um, But I do want to like, I just feel the the weight of this story and the fact that it was more of a, um, like compared to his other works, it was actual um, true, you know, real events that took place. I, I yeah. really appreciated the performances, especially the the cast. There was so many cameo roles and moments and things that you know, people, so, so many people showing up, which could could have been it was an issue for some people, like not knowing, not knowing the names of every single character, or not realizing <laughs> by the end that like this random guy was going to be there and he was going to be yeah. this like the spy or you know, like yeah, you like, didn't really have to understand the names because a lot of the scenes they would uh they would just show the person that they were talking to and like some flashback which are like they're like ah oh, yes the i forget his name whatever incidents the body incident uh with the communist guy who had to go and he was like the it, one of the early incidents that made him lose clearance um i think that was associated with the communist party um i think it was boule that might be wrong anyway mm. um with that guy, uh, they would just show him, and then they like showed him like as a outcast in like South America because he had to flee. And then, um, with the guy who was the spy, they like brought up his name as like he was a Russian spy. And then they mm-hmm. just showed him at the Manhattan Project. They would do that a lot, where they'd just be like, they'd be like, we're talking about this guy, and then they would just show a flashback of him, but like not like not like a big flashback, just like a couple frames of just like the guy. Yeah. Just staying just like here. a like, nod. Oh, okay, that guy. I kind of yeah, like yeah. that. It's just yeah, like I, mean, I liked it too. Because the movie is very much like here's a million actors you know, and you know them from stuff you like, and you're kind of just like you know them by who they are rather than the character, especially if they're in these very small roles. Like for example, um, Remy Malik has this tiny role um, as like the big cataclysmic event at the end of the movie for a certain character that we'll get into. Um, and he, I don't remember his name, but I know is played by Remy Malek. Uh, same with like, what's his name? Uh, the guy who played Han Solo. He had a great role in this movie. Oh, I forget yeah. his name, but, uh, he didn't even have a name in the movie. He's just like assistant, uh, Senator assistant to Robert Downey Jr.'s character. He didn't I almost even have a name. Like, Barra, but that's a director. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, uh, we'll get there. Yeah. He, uh, there's that. Like, Albin Einrich. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like there's a lot of a lot of people like that. And so um with the movie, you just kind of like are like watching all these really good actors and actresses just do their thing. And I mm-hmm. really like that. And um one thing I remember before the movie came out is that um not only is like black and white and like color like that that certain thing, or it's like, you know, the building of the bomb and then like after. It was, uh, I think Nolan said specifically that uh, black and white films are, ob- the black and white parts of the film are objective, whereas the color is the subjective of the of Oppenheimer's point of view. And so you can kind of see that a lot as like some of them get kind of weird. Um, yeah. And like more artsy with them compared to like the black and white shots are very much like, uh, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, 12 Angry Men, very much just shot, very specifically just giving you everything in the frame giving you the detail very laid out whereas the colored shots are very much more artistically done and more like mm-hmm. cinematic and that's kind of like the reason for it um but yeah for um for Oppenheimer's character in general 
I really liked his character just because he's not. I feel like people go to his thinking or like thinking the mindset like, oh, this is supposed to paint him in a good view or something. It does not. Um, he's not painted as a good guy. He's just painted as a guy in history. And um, how his character is perceived, you're not supposed to, not necessarily supposed to like him. And you're not really supposed to empathize with him, but you can kind of understand what was going on with him. Because he's a character very on early in the movie. It's established he's very much a fence post person. He doesn't choose a side. Um, he specifically says that when he's asked to join the Communist Party by the, uh, whatever that guy's name is. Um, I can't remember anyone's yeah. name in this movie except for Oppenheimer. Well, no, it's, it's just the character's <laughs> name. Uh, no, he had like, that weird French name, and it's going to annoy me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, him. Whatever his name was. Uh, God, what was that called? Chevalier. There you go. Chevalier. 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 (laughs) Chevalier. So Chevalier's character, which is played by Jefferson Hall. Um, He he, like asked him, like, you know, why have you joined the party? And Florence Pugh's there. She's like, why have you joined the party? And he's like, well, you know, I like to keep myself out of politics. I like to keep myself, you know, doesn't like the true stuff. And that's kind of how he goes into making the bomb. He goes into the bomb, kind of making like, I'm not here to side with a war. I'm here to just stop the Germans because they're doing the ultimate atrocity. Right. Especially against his people. And he says that specifically. Um, And you kind of see that once he, once the Germans get defeated, he kind of has like that stuff kind of has that, that idea. He's like, well, why am I still doing this then? And then you have that big meeting with all the people. Uh, that are working on the Manhattan Project. There are like the younger people that he brought on. They're like, "Hey, we're like petitioning to stop this because we don't need to use the nuke anymore." And like that's the big point with them is like, "Hey, we don't need to do this. We need you to help us spearhead it." And he's like, "Well, just I, I you know I can't. You're, ma- you're forcing me to make a choice, so I'm not going to make a choice. I'm just going to keep going with what I'm doing." And that's kind of like been his whole thing. He never makes a decisive choice in his life. He just kind of goes the way people steer him very slightly, unless it's it's never anything big. Is that when he gets asked to join the Manhattan Project, he's like, oh, we want you to sit, you know, head this thing. And that's kind of like the accumulation of his career is like, he wants to be remembered and known and kind of for something big and like be this great scientist, but he never wants to choose who he wants to be perceived as or what he wants to be perceived as. It's kind of like his thing. And so he's kind of this man of like, no like intent or discretion. Like he never has something he wants except for that he wanted to make the bomb and just be able to achieve something that he didn't think was possible once he found out it possibly could be achieved and from that point on he very much ends up being like this character that is dealing with all the mistakes of him not being decisive in his life um and trying to kind of stay on that fence post as long as he could as you saw with Florence Pugh's character that's like an early um fallout of him not being decisive and of him not like asserting himself in a certain way and you see that later on with his security hearing and such as how he's perceived after the bomb and the witch hunt against him and it's very much like kind of you're watching this man being taken apart because he never was he never stood up for anything essentially yeah and i do think the the strongest elements of the film really come down to Oppenheimer himself and hit in the thought provoking yeah. dynamic of like, of creating the bomb. And, um, you know, from that point on, like this caused a ripple effect 
where you know everyone across around the world felt that they needed to to do this and 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 now we're in a situation where you know so much time has passed since then where everyone has mm. access to nuclear weapons and so it's yeah. like his tragedy is that he helped he helped in the development of it and but he never but like you said he never wanted it to be um something that brought this much um conflict as well as destruction he just you know he was just doing his job and and he was trying to stop you know someone from committing genocide and all exactly. these things and and so but then but then the movie really takes a turn and becomes this like like a, a sort of attack on him and um like trying to like people questioning who he who he, what he stands for what you know like what his true intentions were um and i really loved how they especially like i mean we all, we both have talked about the the practical effects of the film are insanely good across mm-hmm. the board but They're just insanely done and um just a keynote on that uh i hate when people see like effects like that and stuff and they're they're like just like thermally online people or whatever and they're just like oh these are uh how are this different from like cgi it's like a it doesn't practical doesn't mean it has to be realistic. It just means it's done in a certain way that looks that isn't through like computer generation graphics. Yeah. And it's so annoying people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's like I I loved all those explosion scenes, especially like the synapses kind of of his brain going on comparative mm-hmm. to like the bomb getting set off. I love that. All those yeah. like practical like space stuff was just beautiful. But yeah, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. That's what I was gonna get into is just those those elements uh, early on, I loved mm-hmm. all those like quick, quick cut instances of like a certain line of dialogue would be said, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they'd show like like something getting ready to implode, and you just yeah. hear that really loud and quick sound effects, like and, like yeah, like you're just like you're just like watching this going like whole, you know, like you're you're having to like kind of catch your breath a, a few mm-hmm. times, and then like the weight of that really comes across well when you're seeing it in theaters because you you start to you know really realize just like the the i guess to use this word again the weight of the whole situation yes but 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 also yeah like the practical effects there and the bomb all of that was extremely well done but the i also just like we were talking about his at some point the film really keeps continues to delve into his own psyche and there's this amazing scene that you keep hearing the the sound effect throughout the film of people uh, um, stomping down on some bleachers, mm-hmm. and you don't really realize that's what it is until the fi- until the scene happens where they show yeah. it happening. And that scene is is to me one of the most um, just I uh, tragic and like um, kind of horrific scenes for Oppenheimer because yeah. he's. He gets to this point where he is just trying to be that guy who's who all these hundreds of millions of people are see as almost a hero for stopping the war, you know, and uh, with because of the bomb when it went off on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and and he has to sort of be that like American hero kind of guy, like yeah, we, you know, like you know, he has to sort of act like he's proud of it. And, yeah, yeah, because like, that, oh, a big achievement. We ended the war. Yeah, and I'm the guy who's like 
had the he's the face of the program it. that's solely responsible. Yeah, exactly. And even though he wasn't the only person involved, he he is just the face of that operation. But then mm-hmm. you see him simultaneously giving this speech. You see his reality and his mind start to crumble around him, and he starts seeing all these faces in the crowd of people who are go from being excited and and happy and cheering him on to being um, having the look of someone who just was survived or, or maybe even perished from the bomb. And it's, so you see like, like that, like the ashes and the, and the, and the decay and all that. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just heart wrenching because it's, because, you know, like particularly for, for those of us who are a little bit more familiar with the bombings and and I've seen Mm -hmm. other films or, or, Act, even imagery of the actual events themselves and know just how devastating it was like you know that really hits home and yeah Luke's, Lucas and I have both seen films that that delve into it especially the the, the horrific aspect of it so yeah I was um, actually um, a little surprised oh go ahead oh no yeah I keep going I'm gonna no, I was gonna say I was actually it. yeah yeah I was just gonna say I, I was a little bit surprised too um that the film didn't show any of the bombs. I'm kind of glad mm-hmm. it didn't, but I was sort of expecting to see at least one of them. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not necessarily, you know, the, the reaction of people, uh, you know, on the ground, but like the bombs yeah. being dropped. Yeah. And, uh, that's exactly what I was going to get into. I really liked how they did that. They didn't show any of the effects of the people that were in New Mexico that experienced it. How, the land was taken from the Native Americans and then given back to them, but it was radioactive and a lot of those people were affected from it. The people that eventually like lived in the area pre-bombing that are all affected by all the testing that was done there. Um, the people in Japan that were attacked uh, in Nagasaki and Hiroshima from the bombs. I really like that because specifically, as I said, this is a film from Oppenheimer's perspective for the most part. And all those points are going to be from his perspective. And the movie's about him, essentially. and mm-hmm. so. You, the movie's giving you a point of point of view of what he experienced, and I really liked that because when the bombs are going off, he's just sitting in an office and he's just like, "What the fuck is going on? Like, we're dropping this that thing I just yeah. witnessed on people," and he's like, they, "Like, you know, that meeting where he had where they're deciding the cities. He didn't want to choose as kind of like his thing. They're like, I him, oh, where do you want to drop it?'" And he's like, "Just like, I'm not gonna." I'm not going to say anything, you know, I'm just going to be like, I'm part of this, but I'm not part of this kind of like normal thing that he kind of did throughout the movie. And, um, he just kind of like watched this guy just stewing there and then they get all the news and he has that, uh, speech with the bleachers and he kind of have his like imagination of what it does to a human. Cause you never have the reality of it. You just have what he thought and what he saw. And I really liked that. Um, there's like great films that deal with what, those people went through in Japan, what those people went through in New Mexico. And I think that those better serve it than trying to shoehorn that into a plot of a movie about the guy who made it and kind of the message that they're trying to send with this movie showing these horrific things um, is very different because it's obviously not painting Oppenheimer in a good light. The film, it's just kind of like this man. It's not good or bad, I would per se, but just like the follies of a man. And I think that it was good not showing the result of that directly. Um, they have scenes where you watch people look at the results of it and just how like disturbed and gross out they are from it. But like, I feel like trying to put that in this film just wouldn't have fit greatly narratively. 
and I feel like there's just things that just better serve it. There's so like Perfect Gen obviously is like a, probably the best one I think for like Hiroshima bombing. But there's like great documentaries obviously Grave of the about Fireflies. that. Grave of the Fireflies. That's not even about the nukes being dropped. But that's about the bombings of Tokyo, which is like still like super dark. And right about bad. the just like the survivors. And... Yeah, the, and the civilian like result and how they were because they were just all you know people essentially. Yeah, and um, like. I really liked how they kind of went through it because it's not the main focus of the film because the gravity of that situation is on Oppenheimer and he has to deal with it and these atrocities and he goes to Truman to talk about them and you can kind of feel like as Truman said get this crybaby out of my office it's like you went through with doing this thing you knew you could probably do it and now you're dealing with the atrocities of it I, you're not the one who pressed the button. I'm the one who sent the nuke there. Kind of like, hey, dude, you know, if like you no don't want to be a care. part of this, yeah, no one's gonna care what you say. You're the you're one of the biggest faces of science in America. You opened up Pandora's box of world, you know, weaponry, and you know, you did this, but you know, obviously, they're saying like, oh, you know, if I didn't do this, someone else would have done it. Then someone else would have done it. You know, kind of like the thing is like you chose to do this and then you chose not to back out when you felt morally construed and like morally conflicted about what was going on and kind of his character then dealing with the results of him not speaking to being like, hey, I'm going to drop this project because I don't feel comfortable being part of this project anymore that we are not bombing the Nazis, but we're going to bomb civilian cities in Japan and kind of like. I I really like that because he never knows like the true amount of the. I mean, obviously he probably saw the photos, but he never see from his perspective the true amounts of horrors. He just has to imagine it, and like him imagining all these, just like a small town, like the people that he helped cultivate in Los Alamos. He just sees that thing happening to them, and he just that's all he can do is just imagine the horrors of what he caused, and that's like forever going to haunt him. And you kind of see that as well as his career being completely destroyed because of his kind of indifference in that. Um, eventually, when he gets older, though, he has a lot of uh, things that he goes after, and that kind of leads to his security clearance uh, getting taken away, which is kind of like Act 2, Act 3. But, uh, but very much that, like, that kind of part of his character I really like is just kind of showing through his faults of not being up to his own morals and what he thought was right, he kind of destroyed himself internally. And I really mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I definitely don't think that the visuals were needed uh, of mm-hmm. the actual trusty because of just the, the you wanted to see everything through Oppenheimer as a movie through his point of view. Uh, at least those parts, the colored parts. And I really liked how they stuck with that throughout the movie. And I really loved like that, just that scene that the, at the auditorium with like him just imagining the bomb. Cause that's really like the gravity of his situation is that he'll just never know the ground floor atrocities of it. And he just has to imagine it like all the time, probably his whole life until he died. Yeah, exactly. And the movie definitely leaves you with a lot to think about, especially in yeah. the final line. Yeah. When, yeah. When especially it's the final line. Yeah. When we get to that, um, um, I think the, the second part of the movie getting to that part that kind of entails because it feels like kind of almost two movies Mm -hmm. at points because you have the Oppenheimer part and then you have the security clearance to the Robert Downey Jr. character's part Uh, and Robert Downey Jr.'s character 
is named Lewis Strauss. Not Strauss, because he makes point of that. Strauss. <laughs> um, I might be getting those confused or whatever, but yeah. Um, his whole thing is that he's going to be confirmed to Senate for Truman, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. I think I think it was him. Um, and they're like, okay, we just have some people from your time on the energy board. And that's kind of like when Oppenheimer was post, post, uh, post nuke and he was doing stuff. And this is all through the objective lens. And he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like his whole character is he's just very assertive. And it's very different from how he was portrayed in the subjective part. He's just kind of like, oh, yeah, why would they, why would they take that, like, this thing? A child could make a, a nuke out of this. This is more useless than this when he was, like, shutting down Strauss's uh, thing that he was saying. Uh, and that kind of, like, publicly embarrassed him at that level. And then in the meeting when they had the uh, hydrogen bomb report, it's like, we need to start making H-bombs. He's very, he may like, no, we're not going to make H-bombs. That's, like, the worst thing that you could do. Because why would we make H-bombs? When we have all these nukes, what's the difference? Because um, we made so many nukes. And kind of like, he's a very different character played in the black and white parts of the film compared to the color. And it's like very construing how these memoirs of his own were wrote, written in like black and, and the colored versions compared to his objective view that all these characters have of him, of this kind of like big guy, big guy doing this important job. I did some really important thing in the past, and he's like, everybody takes his word for it. But then once the security hearing comes, it goes back to color, and he's just kind of like this shriveled-up old man just sitting in this chair being ambushed. And it's kind of very interesting bouncing around through these kind of point of views. But very much... Uh, very much uh, there is kind of this point of view that I like is very changing through these um, points and so I really like that um, and when you get yeah that security hearing was just very very integral part of the story that was very interesting because it was very different from the other parts but you had all these kind of just people attacking Oppenheimer obviously it was a planned ambush and how they did it and then how he was able to kind of turn around from that uh, later in the movie and have people who were on his side then kind of do that same thing to someone else was really cool. Yeah. That, um, yeah, I really like seeing the transition of, of Strauss, Strauss being, um, <laughs> Strauss, <laughs> Lewis Strauss. Be, being like in control and believing that he's, you know, he's, he essentially, from the moment he, you know, got to know Oppenheimer and, and, mm -hmm. and experienced uh, this whole thing with um, him and Einstein and early in the film, like he pretty much had this vendetta to. Yeah. Yeah. He um, had this whole, whole big thing kind of, cause he felt like, you know, I'm, I'm the Dean of Princeton and I'm as smart as these guys, but they don't respect me. And that's kind of like his whole thing. These guys don't accept me as part of their group as the part of the actual geniuses of the world, I am kind of just a level below them in like a senator, which is what he was getting appointed to be. Uh, or that he was a commissioner of uh, like security or something for uh, that presidential cabinet. He was being appointed to a cabinet. And that's kind of like his, excuse me, his height was like that. And he's not like these internationally renowned 
uh, geniuses. And so he kind of feels like they're always out to get him. And when one of them kind of like just belittles his intelligence, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do whatever I can to kind of bring you down. And that's what he did with Oppenheimer, sending a uh, package to the legendary, oh, I don't want to say his name, David Damanchian, David Damanchian, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Borden's character, William Borden, sends him a package like, hey, here's his whole security thing. Not from me. Um, make it so he gets in trouble. And so they have that whole security hearing because it's like a special hearing, essentially, if you haven't seen the movie, where they don't have a court. And it's kind of just like, oh, we have all this evidence, but the defense doesn't get it. And we're just hearing it because it's not actually a case in court. Um, and so they just destroy him there. Uh, pretty much is the gist. Uh, what's her name has a great scene in it, though. Emily Blunt just like going toe to toe with the main guy leading it. Uh, yeah. About like her involvement with the communist party and stuff. She was she was great in this film. She was probably like. She might have been my favorite, favorite one of my favorite parts of the film. Like, I'm not really a huge Emily Blunt fan, but I really loved her in this film. And uh, same with, like, Rami Malek. I just like Rami Malek, though. He was just good in yeah. his short role. Um, and uh, what's his name was really good. Uh, Jason Clark as that character. Yeah. Uh, uh, Roger Robb. I have the IMDb pulled up here because there's so many freaking names. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of characters. Yeah, Roger Robb. His character was great. He was just like, like, did you or did you not? He's just like drilling him, drilling in the Oppenheimer. Yeah. But then again, it could be just like couldn't have been as intense just because it's from Oppenheimer's point of view. And he has like that crazy scene where he's just like very brightly staring and like it, it's like a nuke's going off in his brain because he's just being decimated as mm-hmm. a person. And that's kind of like the whole situation is. And it has all these parallels to the nuke being off. He's being decimated politically and personally because now he's going to be, oh, hey, it's that guy that built the Duke and then lost his security clearance because he was a communist is essentially what everybody's going to think of it. Um, another note, uh, my, my favorite part, speaking of Emily Button, Albert Einstein is like a slapstick character in this movie. Sometimes um, the first scene is him by a lake and then he loses his hat, like Charlie Chaplin. That was hilarious. <laughs> and then that scene where he get uh, what's his name? Gets dropped off by Strauss Strass. Um, uh, Oppenheimer gets dropped by Strauss, and um, then out of nowhere, uh, Albert Einstein's like, "Oh, looks like you're back," and he's like, "What is I like? <laughs> I I've seen some other people like post about it and tweet about it and like comment on Letterbox about it. Like, I was like almost laughing because it was just out of nowhere. Just Albert Einstein was like, "Hello," <laughs> and it was hilarious. It was yeah. it was super funny. Uh, but yeah, his his character's great. Uh, but yeah, that was like the best security. casting. Yes, exactly. Like it, that was great. Um, but yeah, the whole security thing then leads into the main black and white timeline, which is Robert Downey Jr. getting approved, but he doesn't. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of like the whole thing is like, is it- they're all here to bring me down. And and it all goes back to when I brought him to Princeton and he, I, uh, him and Albert were talking about me. And then, what's his name, has that great line. Um, Alden's character. Yeah. Uh, Senate aide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, he's like maybe they're talking about something more important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, like, that was like that so was maybe like they weren't talking line. about you at all. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're actually talking about something important. <laughs> and then and then you find out what they're actually talking <laughs> yeah, about. Exactly. And yeah, nothing to do. That the the ending was great, and it kind of really wraps around the whole film into a mm-hmm. bow. Yeah, kind of. Oppenheimer realizing the gravity of the situation he's found he caused and kind of throwing it 
and Albert Einstein. And they kind of just like sit there and realize the world that they've created because essentially they both were there and helped create this reality that the world is now living in and we are living in. Yeah, it's it's really a like there are really there there rarely any films that really stand out that like have such an impactful ending line mm-hmm. for, and that one that makes you think about the reality of the world now because mm-hmm. it's like obviously there's like surprising endings and there's mm-hmm. thought provoking endings and shocking endings but this yeah. is like something that really leaves you like with a whole new perspective on like what our world ha- has become and and like and how how in the heck are we gonna deal with it yeah did you forward. ever play any of the metal gear solids by chance unfortunately no <laughs> five is very much like oppenheimer at the end um i mean metal gear solids are insane storylines they have some crazy crap going on it's like lynching yeah. crap but the ending is very much about like nuclear disarmament uh not very much but it's one of the key pieces but it's like in the game, you're like a war dog, essentially. you private contractor, and you can make nukes, and you make nukes. And at the end, at a point in the game, it tells you how many people that are that have an account that played the game, that uploaded you know, their data to be shared online, how many nukes are left. And there's a secret scene that never happened because no one will ever get rid of their nukes in the game. But if there's full nuclear disarmament, there's like a peace ending. But hmm. that'll never happen. Just like in reality, just like Oppenheimer, it's just like this bag of worms, can of worms has been opened and you can't put it back in. And that kind of like very big sentiment happens in that as well as Oppenheimer. And I really, uh, I really liked Oppenheimer, especially the visual part on the end. That was just like a very big cherry on top, cherry on top. Jeez, I cannot talk (laughs) today. But yeah, um. Uh, before that, I definitely, I definitely did love the downfall of Robbie Downey Jr.'s character. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. great. Um, it was funny. He was like, "This is the first time I've had to act since like Iron Man," and <laughs> but the Marvel people got mad. But uh, I can understand what he means. But uh, yeah. there was a uh, he was really good in this film. He was I just loved. It. He was like, "They can't do this to me," and then he just realizes they're doing what he did to uh, Oppenheimer. He's like, "Wow!" <laughs> he just like just gets completely screwed. That was great. But yeah, uh, yeah. That was that was just like such a. I thought that that was really fun, just watching the downfall happen for like thirty minutes. Like, ah, oh, it's all connecting. It's like a puzzle being put together in front of me. And I really like that. Uh, but yeah, the ending with uh, Oppenheimer is like. Remember when I said we? Uh, there's a possibility we could set the world on fire, uh, the atmosphere on fire, and destroy the world from the nuke. And Albert Einstein, like, yeah, and he's like, I think we did. And then that that happens, and the visual of just the world being blown up with nuclear explosions happens, and you're just like, oh wow. Damn, that's that's heavy. Yeah, and I I really liked that because um, that's definitely more important than Stros. Right, exactly. Like it's definitely the reality of that whole situation. Yeah, because there's is, always it speaks beyond the film now because it's it yeah. is it is you know the actual reality that we are now dealing with as people to this day. So mm-hmm. it's definitely one of those things that. Um, links everything together in in something that is just like who you know we really have no idea if this is ever going to change now like yeah this, exactly if um 
these events from way back when actually cause something that we're forever going to be dealing with until yeah. the end of the world. Yo, <laughs> Yahoo. Who knows? On that note, <laughs> yeah, Harvey. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Well, yeah. That's what, why I was, I was like, very happy. Like I saw people like that's why I was talking about the Ryan Shorts video from Funhouse video because he's like, oh, this is the best way to watch my Airways. It's very like making fun of that whole thing, uh, just because like, uh, I mean, obviously the way I watch it, I feel like was a very good way, or just watch them very far apart. I think as a double feature, you would have to watch Barbie first. Because Oppenheimer, yeah. you're just like, fuck, man. Yeah. I got all this existential dread about things I'll never be able to control. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, we'll, uh, God. Exactly. But yeah, no, it was say, like, yeah we'll, we'll make the Barbie review a little quicker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, yeah, the... Um, in uh, in his video, he's like, I did the Barbie Oppenheimer swirl is my favorite one, where every 10 minutes you go to one theater, and then you go to the other one. <laughs> oh, God. It's just like stuff like that. It's super funny. But yeah, um, for Barbie, uh, I think it is the perfect mess avoided. Like, I was reading about certain things that the film could have, not the, not the cutscenes or anything, just like, obviously, Amy Schumer was supposed to be Barbie, and that would have kind of just been weird oh. with like, what they were going with. I felt hmm. like she would have been good at like as like a different Barbie. That'd been fine, but her as the lead was weird. But then she could, didn't do it. And then there was someone else that was supposed to like direct it or something. There was another thing I read, and I was like, "Oh, that would have been horrible." Uh, <laughs> and like they they like kind of lucked into a really actually well done film because they just had good people that got their artistic message through, and they didn't get it too messed with through studio film. I feel like just because Greta Gerwig has more power than like say like Nia DaCosta or like. Um, whatever her name uh she won the oscar for uh not bull rider but uh i'm uh she she won best picture like in 2020 oh oh um yeah the chinese yeah no madeline her like they didn't have as much i feel like creative control as they could have had with like a big franchise or like a big ip thing and like marvel um whereas like greta gerwig definitely had like full control of this you could tell like almost full control of this like there's a lot of things that like are yeah. just like very out there story's definitely out there um my least favorite part of it is the very obvious chevy equinox 2024 electric suv uh that you can get pre-ordered this year if you know that did you know that <laughs> i actually completely got one <laughs> over my head <laughs> that was so painful for me just because i know i like went down a whole like rabbit hole in like 90s movies with uh product placement uh, oh. I was like the big time 80s and 90s and that that was like every frame was perfectly striking blue lightning blue chevy equinox ev that isn't out yet because it was like a very much an ad for that um uh, yeah i really like the movie um the message i feel like uh the, the message of the film some people i mean obviously certain people of certain political beliefs think it's very like whatever leftist or whatever I mean, obviously, the film is very feminist, but feminist is like a an encompassing term for like humanitarianism and all that. And the film very much is like shows you the perspective of uh, patriarchy from the opposite. And you're like, oh, you don't really want that because they kind of show like that's not good. And then Ken gets the power to take it down, but then you don't want it the other way. So it's kind of flipping it, showing, oh, you don't want either way. You don't want one class rolling the other class in this like gender dynamic. And yeah. so the best way is. To kind of have 
a structure, you know, just where these groups come together and they kind of just talk out their feelings. And that's what they did at the end of the film where Ken was like, you know, I didn't really care about it anyway. I just kind of wanted to be with you. And she's like, well, you know, we can hang out or, you know, yeah. we can have more of that stuff. We're not going to have girls night every night. And you're going to kind of have like this more structured thing where we're kind of working together. Um, but yeah, like the poison of Ken and like stuff like that was just so funny. Ken mm-hmm. was greatly acted. Everyone casted in this movie was great. Honestly, there's not one person I didn't like, except for maybe Simi Liu. I feel like Simi Liu could have been someone else. I don't like Simi Liu that much as a person. Oh. <laughs> there's there's some stuff that came out about him. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, nothing crazy bad, but it was like his Reddit leaked and he was like a, kind of like a, one of those like console basement trolls on his old Reddit before he got famous. <laughs> Interesting, but uh, but him as an actor, I don't think he's that great. I liked him in uh, Shang Chi, but like outside of that, I feel like he's just kind of like very one dimensional. That's really uh, all I've seen. Yeah, him that's in. all I. That's all I really see from him outside of that is he's like this one dimensional comic guy. And whereas like Ken, played by literally me, Robert Ryan, <laughs> I almost said Robert Downey Jr. Ryan Gosling. Um, <laughs> He's just great. Uh, everything that Ryan Gosling has like touched in like the last five years, ten years has just been great. Uh, he just picks great films to be in and great characters to be, and he just like really goes into those characters in a well structured way, where he does it correctly. And um, Margot Robbie, I could not see anyone else as Barbie. I don't know how they didn't pick her to begin with. Uh, she's just great, um, and the story structure um, is really good. Uh, I feel like the worst character is like Will Ferrell. He's just kind of just there. <laughs> um, but like the mother and daughter thing is very important. I feel for this story and kind of like the passing on of like the toy and mm. kind of like metaphorically passing on like motherhood or like just womanhood to the next person, a uh, person that you gave life to and person that you raised and kind of like understanding them kind of the mother daughter dynamic, similar to like in a different way, but similar to kind of how Ken and Barbie's dynamic is. And I really liked both of those characters. But it's just like a really fun movie. Uh, definitely, definitely like PG thirteen. I could, I could take like a ten year old to it, like an eight year old if they're like okay. But like, you know, not like for like young kids. But it was really fun. Uh, shot really good. I love the practical sets. Um, all this like old school. It's very done like a fifties film. Like the driving the car and all this beautiful like, just like, like it's on a stage. You know, it's on a stage, but it looks so fun because that's what you want from the uh barbie world barbie land right uh, you just wanted to look fun and that was like just so well done it was just so fun the fight scenes the dance numbers the dance numbers were great i hope it wins song of the year i am just ken uh, is song of the year i'm sorry or i don't Billie think anything's gonna beat that uh billy eilish we could see okay either one because <laughs> billy eilish one i heard many people crying to uh every showing they're just like coming out of there just like <gasps> It's just like very much definitely hit this hit a hit a vein with some women. Uh, I could definitely see that uh, at my showing that I went to. Uh, that was employees at the theater, and then like just I saw definitely see like people coming out crying. But uh, just as an event movie, it's like the first like one of the biggest event movies since uh, Endgame and like Infinity War. And I just think it's more encompassing too because everybody knows what Barbie is. Not everybody's into Marvel, and not everybody was like I'm not gonna go watch all these movies, even though it was higher grossing probably and stuff it's very different kind of thing where uh just the range of people going to see this movie are mostly women uh, that haven't like at my theater it was mostly women that just haven't been to the theater in so long and then they would take their husbands or their boyfriends um 
especially because my theater caters to like older people. So there's a lot of old people that are just coming like, I haven't been to the theater since 2019 or like pre-COVID. And I'm going to go see this with my friends because it sounds fun. I brought my granddaughter and like, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we've just been streaming for like whatever. I haven't been to theater forever. There's so many people like I've never been to this theater. I just haven't been to theater forever. And I think that's the biggest part of it is like this crazy event movie. That was super fun. Uh, it definitely did have like a really good story and like an emotional note to it uh, that struck people. Um, it's just like all the characters are so memorable and everyone's just so fun in the movie. Um, I feel like it drags a little bit in like the uh, the like uh, the like emotional part at the end with a woman who created Barbie a tiny bit. That was like my my least like the it went on a little bit too long, mm-hmm. but like it wasn't too bad in that point. I really just like the film and uh overall i liked all the characters in the film i thought the story was perfect for what you're going for you don't need it to be too serious and you don't need it to be like too dumb it was like the perfect characterization of them there's just so many great lines like you're a fascist i don't even control the flow of commerce or own a railroad it's just like all this like dumb like very poignant stuff there's like a stab at like the band pavement that my manager was like i don't want to see it now because i'm a pavement fan it's like a joke <laughs> it was like there's all these like little quips that were just great and it's like greta Gerwig is definitely like really good at writing like those quips and like the comedy and just getting like a good flow for that like dialogue between characters it was just so awesome but yeah all the all the main cast just played their characters to a t and just had all these exuberance of like body comedy, physical comedy, like actual comedy. Uh, Ryan Gosling was just great at that. I think that was, he was just so awesome. I just, uh, he was he everything was I wanted from that movie. He was Knuff. Like the, just like the little stuff like that. Like I am Knuff. That did those hilarious. Like to come up with that idea. Jesus. Uh, it was just like, it was just a fun, great film, and I'm happy for all the stuff that's coming out from it. Too. Just like everybody going back to the theater that haven't been to the <laughs> theater in so long, and it's just great. Yeah, it really surprised me all around. I was, mm-hmm. I was most, I think I was anticipating it being like, I've seen different reviews for it, and a lot of the reviews I have seen, to be honest, have not. I don't feel like. The, some of the people I've seen that really understood the full point or like they, they like mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of like particularly guys who were taking away from this film as like well it wasn't made for me like yeah it was yeah like the, it, yeah, sorry sure. Ken is like one of the best male comedy characters put to the screen in the last like three years like, <laughs> Seriously. I can't name a better like he's just so fun like yeah and obviously not everything's with him not every scene is with him but he's still right. just great and like Outside of that, like the other stuff just carries itself enough. Alan, I mean, sorry, I haven't talked about you, Alan. <laughs> Michael, Sarah. Michael Sarah is like at the point where he has enough money, he doesn't have to do movies and he just chooses to do the funnest things. Yeah. Like he just appears in random crap as like super fun characters and he was just great in this. He's just like, I'm Alan, how you? Yeah. Hi, I'm the discontinued <laughs> friend of Ken that they only made one of. <laughs> so there's Ow. only one of me and Barbie Lane. And it's just great, like all that stuff. It was just, yeah. People try to make it like overtly political and stuff, and like obviously that's the world we live in in America, very politicized. And I mean, whereas there is a political message with this, and there is like a message that they're going for, you don't have to agree with it, I guess. Um, if you want to watch this movie, but like honestly, it's like I mean, 
not not going against the message. I agree with it. It just like I mean, I feel like you can enjoy this film without having completely aligned with her. Uh it's just a good film. Um and I feel like people try to depoliticize movies that are political and politicize movies like specifically like if you watch this you're this and it's just like whatever dude it's just like it's a good movie obviously i agree with the stuff in it and but it's not specifically a movie for women and it's not specifically like all men suck like if you don't get nuances in the sub like the undertone of just like what they're talking about like the subplot is about like how ken shouldn't be in charge but neither should barbie there should be a thing about it i mean i'm trying to politically delve down the barbie movie right now (laughs) and that just seems dumb just watch the movie it's fun like um it's just like what there's not that many good comedies coming out like i mean no hard feelings is like the one this year um (laughs) like uh like it's it's been a while since there's been like a good movie where you're in theater and you're like everybody's having a good time and that was like really fun to see that and have a great time with the theater um and i just just definitely a great movie if you haven't seen it go definitely watch it Um, yeah um in the middle of this uh recording my girlfriend saw the movie and texted me that uh barbie was a really good movie (laughs) yeah there you go we know my girlfriend (laughs) loves seen it twice so oh nice uh she saw it with me and then saw it with her mom so oh that's awesome yeah i just i don't know like i think it really has a lot of depth to it and mm-hmm. it even like it's it has i wouldn't call it a movie so to say with like a straight agenda because it has yeah exactly it makes fun of its own agenda like it's yeah, actually it's kind it's of like decon- it's a, yeah it deconstructs its own argument and like establishes just what it's like just saying about stuff and the best it's not keep going no you go you finish that no, I forget where I was going. So. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, it's it's like the best example of that to me is when Barbie first goes to the real world and she starts seeing everyone around her, and then um, she finds who she thinks is her owner. Who um, mm-hmm. it's the daughter, of, the daughter of, of the, yeah of her, but America at the time she Ferreira, thinks, yeah, America Ferreira's <laughs> daughter in the film. Um, and she goes up to her and like this kid warns her that she's going to like burn her down basically. But yeah. She doesn't care. And, and she still has this like, you know, this, this enthusiasm to talk to her. And, and, you know, but then in the middle of that conversation, she's like, <laughs> like she thinks she's this amazing thing. And like, yeah. you know, women, women, you know, like Barbie is Barbie. Everyone loves Barbie. I'm the best, whatever. And then yeah. this little girl's like, just drilling her hard mm-hmm. and, and like saying like you basically set us back 50 years like yeah you know, it's like, like the progression the like that yeah. was so great because it's like yeah like you know greta gerwig was involved in and her she's such a great writer in that in the like uh monologue scene by america ferrera just mm-hmm. pointing out all the issues that women have to endure on a daily basis like that yeah. really hits home obviously the song with billy eilish really hits home at the end when you see um, you know, just how difficult it can be to be a woman in, in the world. And it, it you know, yeah. the, so the film has certain messages that are meant to come mm-hmm. across straight and narrow, but then there are some, a lot of nuance, a lot of, a lot of fun, poking fun at themselves, not take the film that never truly takes itself too seriously. 
because it knows what it is. It's a Barbie. Yeah. It's a Barbie live action movie, and it's not yeah. meant to be yeah. extremely yeah. serious in, in what it's trying that, to get across. We see Barbie, and you're like, "Oh, what's she doing? She's in the real world." America dropped her off. Oh yes, <laughs> and then she's just like, "I'm here to see my gyna," <laughs> and then that's the end of the movie. It's like, come on, and and a review like, is over, everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, like yeah, that 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 line to me. At first, I thought it was just a funny line. Mm-hmm. So you, on the surface level, it's just a hilarious line, like because. Mm-hmm. But then I totally. I had to actually realize and think about it, the fact that she is Barbie and she, they even joke about in the film that her and Ken don't have genitals. And so then I realized, okay, that's why she's going. (laughs) Yeah. And also it's kind of like her character too entering womanhood technically kind of as kind of like, Oh, now she's like in the real world and a real woman. She has to do real woman things. There's a lot of ways to interpret it. Yeah. 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 It was just so fun. I just had a lot of fun with it. I'll definitely see it again, probably before the year ends. Um, yeah, it was, same here. That's going to be an amazing 4K, along with Oppenheimer. They're both going to yeah. look uh, incredible. Ooh, Barbie Hyper. <laughs> I'm not, I, don't think I, do a, I don't think I can do a double feature, though. <laughs> no, two. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah what, um, what's the next Barbenheimer in uh, the next amazing combination of two words? When, what, what, there was, when is that going to again? There was one that they were trying to push because of this. That's really dumb because no one would ever see both of them unless you're a parent. Uh, but it's uh, Saw Patrol because Saw and Paw Patrol oh, yeah, movie came out the same yeah. day. And that was just like, that's very much that, not the internet getting behind something and you just guys just trying to be funny uh, that, that, as a corporation oh, and get more people to see your movie. Right. No one's going to go see Paw Patrol and Saw. Unless... Yeah, those, those are completely different audiences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, this one definitely, 100%. you can watch both. Um, I don't think there's any way to compare them. Um, they're no. two very different movies. Um, which one's better? Just watch them and see which one you like. Uh, I'm not going to say one's better than the other. Yeah, because uh, they're very much just you can't compare them. Completely different films. It's 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 very different. And um, but yeah, they're both great. Um, definitely good that you know the movie that is bringing everyone back to the box movies that are bringing everyone back to the box office. First time ever in history, two movies grossed over 80 million in the same weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like great to see that. And, yeah. With theaters um, really we have, need we have two movie theaters opening near us, which is crazy to say people are opening mm. the movie theaters again. Uh one just opened like last week and one of them's opening at the end of the year. It's like, oh good to see that happening. Which and one and which one? Healdsburg uh, and Hilda? Larkspur and Healdsburg. Yeah. Larkspur closed during COVID and got bought and now they're being run and they're open. So like great to see theaters yeah. open. Especially in like an area like us, very techy, you know. Big yeah. area. So well, guys, Lucas and I are actually going to be hanging out pretty soon. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the end of it. It's just both great films. Go see them, see which ones you like. I mean, it was great yeah. that the biggest thing out of this is that both of them have created this kind of resurgence in cinema and just great box office numbers. Um, right at the time of the strike. So I know, I was about to say, right <laughs> as this. So uh, we'll see what happens after that. Um, go indie film. Watch a, watch a bunch mm-hmm. of A24 movies. Uh, go watch Talk uh, and Past Neon. Lives. Uh, it's coming out. Yeah, there's uh, what, whatever indie movies are in theaters, go see those because they're the ones getting the uh, getting the waivers and making films still currently. So there's been yeah. uh, 40-something movies that have been granted waivers, and they're all independent studios. So go well, support independent cinema in your local theater. Yes. And Lucas and I are hopefully going to be doing another 
yes, podcast very really soon, soon where yes, we're able be to talk past about lives. I'm spoiling spoiler alert past <laughs> lives and talk to me Ooh. so we got two 24 movies actually we saw past lives while also ago. two very different films from barbie very Hathaway. different films <laughs> very different films kind of same All color palette though <laughs> <laughs> dark and blue <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, two two of the other best films i've seen so far this year yes so. so with that we hope you all are having a great august and and not getting too warm outside wherever you live mm-hmm. uh, it's really hot today or cold so if be- you're in the southern hemisphere <laughs> where we are my bad yeah so we're really we're really warm over here and looking forward to relaxing and watching yes. some good stuff tonight so mm-hmm. let us know what you guys are watching what you want us to talk about soon uh, like yes. i said we've been watching a lot of movies i would love to talk about mission impossible dead reckoning part one when lucas soon. does eventually see it <laughs> uh so we'll get there um yeah. but yeah um let us know uh, what you think, and uh, we'll be in. We'll be back soonish. Yes, but uh, yeah. With that, Lucas, anything you'd like to say before we wrap it up? No, not really. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. Well, everyone, thanks again. You have been amazing, and this has been another episode of Mile a Minute Movie Talk, Episode Ten. Bam! Double digits. <laughs>